in our series on the 3D gospel. Um, just battling a bit with some technical beats here. Right. <clears throat> it's always a great opportunity to... Um, Take the time and make the time as well. Two different things. Make the time and use it to really dwell and marinate in God's Word. Um, especially for the benefit that it brings to us, transforming our lives and Allowing the Word of God to have its transforming power, um, just as we will see in today's um, passage. Like I mentioned just now, we're continuing in our series in the book of Titus, which we've uh, captioned 3D Gospel, and today we're continuing to look to, to finish off the first chapter of Titus. Um, last week, <clears throat> we saw Titus in Crete, where he's received a, a, a mission from Paul the Apostle, I mean, to set in order what remains in the churches in Crete, and appoint qualified elders to typify the Lord and teach sound doctrine that transforms lives. So we continue reading as if we're reading over his shoulders today and see what's in it for us. Um, I want you to come with me through this old letter so we see some more details. I mean, last week we looked at chapter, uh, verses 5 to 9 in chapter 1, and this week we're looking in verses 10 to 16. So please open your Bibles with me, and let's turn to Titus chapter 1. And read the text from verse 10 to 16. I'd encourage you, even if I'm going to display it on screen, just open it in your Bibles, on your phone, so you get familiar with the text yourself. Because, because we're not always going to be together like this, um, you know, having it on display, having it on screen. Just get used to your, to your phone, because I, I trust that by the time we're through with this series... You know, God willing, you will be spending more time with God in his word on your own, okay, and seeing the benefit and seeing the, the result from that. Um, so we read, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Um, they must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, 
But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Let's just take a moment to pray as we commit ourselves to God, even for this time and for his word. Father, it's truly a privilege. It's truly a blessing. It's truly your grace extended to us, Lord, in teaching us these things, teaching us about your kingdom, teaching us about even those who you've given to lead and have charge over the body. I pray, Lord God, that even as we look at this today, as as we continue to look at um, the, the charge given to Titus for establishing the church in Crete, we also would see our place, would see our role, would see where you have us, even in the scheme of things. Heavenly Father, I pray that what I speak today will be your word, will be what you intend for everyone listening here to hear. And um, I trust, Lord God, that by the power of your word, not my oratory or skill or any displays or anything, but by the power of your word, you will have your way in each and every one of our lives. Thank you, Lord. We commit ourselves to you for this time and always through Jesus Christ. Amen. As we um, come to this text today, um, I just put some signs upon there for us to have a look at the moment. Whether we walk, cycle, or, or drive, when you come to signs like these, um, you do well to pay attention to them in order to continue your journey and perhaps complete the journey safely. I'm sure there's many more. But likewise, in reading and studying the Bible, it is important to read carefully so as to see how the writer scripts his message in order to get the meaning that God intends. So this helps us reach even the intended transformation that God has, even for our lives, so that we avoid any mishaps, road crashes, or any disasters that, that are out there as if waiting to ambush our walk as believers. And this is the thing that um, Paul kind of highlights as he describes the condition giving rise to the need for qualified elders, as we saw last week. And he also goes on to lay, lay down the actions they need to take, as in these qualified leaders. So we will see as we continue, or going back into the verse, right there in, in the first um, verse that we're looking at today, four, it helps us to see, first of all, the condition that's giving rise to Paul's instructions to Titus. There are many, but when you think about it, four right there causes us to pause and look back. Four it's, I mean, it's just in the middle of a sentence. It's joining 
something he said to something he's about to say. And as I looked at this, I thought, hmm. Okay, so last week we saw that Paul told Titus to appoint elders of certain character, of certain qualities. One woman, one woman men who were not given to be pugnacious, who were not given to excessive drinking, who were above reproach. You couldn't successfully bring these men any accusations and be just in condemning them with those accusations. These were the kind of people he was look, looking for, people of really impeccable character. Of course, by the grace of God. And why did he want those men? Why is he asking Titus to appoint such people? He goes on to say, for there are many. Pause right there for a second. There are many. Many. And as I looked at this, I thought, this is a new church. I mean, they shouldn't have to contend with many already. But as we read in the verse, there are many of the circumcision party. And these guys are already people that um, Paul has in mind as he's given instructions to Titus to, to appoint qualified elders. So far, he's told Titus why he left him in Crete. Again, that he should appoint elders whose qualities are outstanding in terms of their general character, their sexual morality, their family leadership, and their ability to teach as well. So... And speaking of their teaching ability, Paul says in verse 9, Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, that these guys must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught. Note, as they've been taught. Another important competence they must have. So that they may give instruction in sound doctrine. One, they must be able to teach. And two... They may be able also to rebuke those who contradict it. So all that just sets the context for what we're looking at today from verses 10 to 16. It's not enough just to be able to teach the truth. The leaders they, he appoints, that Titus appoints, must also be able to silence those who contradict the truth. Notice they're two different things. Why is that necessary within the church? Why is that necessary within the church leadership? Well, <clears throat> look at the verse again. Look at these verses up on screen. There are many. They are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent. Why? Because they are upsetting whole families. By, the, by their teaching, and they teach for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So, imagine a new church. Church leaders are trying to establish people in the faith, but then on the other hand, there are people in the church as well who are teaching stuff that is contrary to the faith, or teaching stuff that's unsettling and disturbing the faith of those who are getting grounded in the faith. Well, <clears throat> they must be silenced. They must be silenced. 
That's the point. There are many voices like that that must be silenced in the church. And just putting ourselves in the shoes of Titus or putting ourselves in, 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 these, in this circumstance, we'll see as we, go, as we go into this in a bit more detail what kinds of things these guys were teaching, but they must be silenced. Just as we find today, there is really great similarity and great comparison to be made. I'm sure, um, I don't know how old each, each of you here is in the faith, or even whether you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, but as you've come from your very early beginnings, the early days, to be convinced that, wow, I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I, don't, I don't really don't have to work it up. I don't have to score any brownie points with Jesus or with God. I'm saved. And then you, you hear somebody come whisper something contrary. Oh, you're saved. Ah, do you tithe your time to pray? Do you pray two hour, at least two hours and 24 minutes a day? <laughs> Are you sure you, you're, you're saved? If you're not praying like that, mm. there are voices like that. There are many. And that's just... What I just said to you was, is, is, is a true experience, a true account. You might find that absurd, but that's just small. That's nothing compared to what else you hear. But <clears throat> guess what? These voices must be silenced. And let's think and consider how we would silence them. Quickly looking at a few things. I mean, we can silence these voices by not giving them a platform. There are many preachers out there we, we could invite to speak to you here if it were as simple as just giving them a place to do so. I mean, beyond that, though, there are other platforms we could easily give speakers unawares. Let me ask you a few questions. Who's preaching to you on your social media platforms? Who's preaching to you or constantly spitting out their stuff to you on cable TV 24-7? Who are these guys? I tried very hard to resist mentioning names, but... <laughs> <laughs> From experience, I know. Some constantly have on Creflo Dollar. Pastor T.D. Jakes, Benny Hinn, or the Haggies, or Chris Oyakilome. They're constantly on, just straight spitting their stuff out, even if you're listening to it or not. Who's constantly preaching to you? What are they preaching to you? Are they preaching stuff that establishes you and grounds you in the fundamentals, the truth about Jesus Christ and Him being our Savior? Or something else. I mean, I've been places, and I won't mention any more names, where it seemed like every now and then someone new was coming to speak at the church. Sometimes we didn't even know who it was going to be and what they were going to speak about, but <clears throat> the things they would teach were as varied as they came, and each with a Bible verse just tagged on 
at the end to give it a Christian relevance. So, silence them. Don't give them a platform, please. Where you have control of it, do not give those who come to preach anything other than fundamentals of the gospel a platform to speak. Silence them by teaching the truth as well. Paul has already told Titus, appoint elders who can handle the word, teach it, and refute those who contradict it. Of course, teach the truth. This is what Paul has called for in the qualification of the elders. They must hold fast to the truth. And that will equip them to silence the falsehood with truth. Just think what you would do if someone speaks what isn't true about the gospel to you. Just think what you would do. It's not just by faith in Jesus Christ, you know. You really have to go knocking doors and, you know, stand on the street corner with some magazines. Those are works, and they will earn you some salvation. No, sir. No. Speak the truth. It has nothing to do with that. Also, silence them by your conduct. I mean, look at the lives of these leaders that Paul asks Titus to appoint. Men who were above reproach. One woman, men. Not greedy for sordid gain. It wasn't so much about the honorarium they were going to get. It's not, not so much about that. I know some would justify that. Well, they have to place a very high honorarium on their speaking engagements just to manage their speaking diary so that if you get to invite some speakers to come speak, they need your $5,000 honorarium first before they even give you a look-in. Men and women of God, hello? Oh, by the way, that was at least 14 years ago. And I'm talking very popular names. But I said I wouldn't mention any more names. <laughs> Is he any different today? Are there many that must be silenced? Many that teach, teach things they ought not to teach for shameful gain. Men whose teaching leads whole family is truly confused about the truth of the gospel that saves. Members turned one against another, even when they all claim to be believers in the same household. You don't have enough faith. That's why you're not healed. Mommy. Son to mother. You don't have enough faith. That's why. Look, you need to stand up and command that situation, you know. Because that your church, you guys are not serious. You really don't take the, the, the spiritual thing seriously. What about the profession of, the, of that person's faith? Does that, mean, does that mean they're not a believer? Look, they must be silenced. Because... Um, 
they turn members of, members of households one against another because of the insincerity of what is taught and the empty philosophies that are palmed off as the gospel. As I stand here talking about this, I pray that we are a church that is very outspoken for Christ and for the gospel that transforms and saves lives. So who are those that contradict? I mean, let's quickly <clears throat> see. He identifies them as those of the circumcision party. Did you see that in verse 10? Those of the circumcision party. These men were quite probably Jews who had become believers in Jesus Christ. This is going back in time now to Crete, Titus. Um, Jews who had become believers in Jesus. Now, Paul calls for a certain reaction towards them. Again, they must be silenced, and you silence them in those manners that <clears throat> we have already highlighted. Silence them by not giving them a platform. Silence them by not giving them, uh, by, by speaking the truth. And, these, and the elders were going to silence them by their conduct as well, by their lives. But there's some descriptions that we need to take note of here that Paul gives, which makes the, the, the issue more a concern and equally a concern for us today. Look at that. There are many, very many of them, very many. And <clears throat> today, again, I, I think I mentioned this just earlier, many teaching all kinds of things. And I've given a few examples we could be um, surrounded by those who believe that praying is no longer a thing of making our request or making our petition or asking God for things, but rather it's a matter of decreeing and declaring things to be. Declaring them into existence. You know, you may never have heard this, but Christians are being taught nowadays to command the morning because God asked Job rhetorically in Scripture, have you ever commanded the morning? So that it goes according to my desires. Don't be surprised at what I'm saying. I'm not fishing these things out of thin air. There are books about them authored here in the United Kingdom by very prominent church leaders. What's different for us? Not much, really. Not much, really. There are many. <clears throat> there are many among us. And note some things about their behavior as well that Paul highlights. They are insubordinate. They don't respond to authority. In the church as well, they don't respond to the authority of the church. They don't respond to spiritual leaders. They don't respond to spiritual authority. Look, quite easily, if you, if, you, if you challenged any of these guys who were teaching things like <clears throat> that they ought not to teach, excuse me, they would readily want to move on. And they wouldn't have any issue choosing to do that. Because, as Paul points out here, they're insubordinate. Last week I mentioned the example of Diotrephus who Paul mentioned, um, giving young Timothy a, a 
some challenge in Ephesus, another church. He wanted to be in charge. He wouldn't subject himself to authority. He wanted to have the lead. Wants to be a teacher, wants to be a leader. Well, get this. They quite readily want to move on, want to move out on their own when they have any issue that they choose not to resolve within the church. I tell you what, <clears throat> and this is one thing I really like about, um, or should I, should I say, should I use the word like? This is one thing I found very encouraging about um, fellowship here at Ecclesia. Look, you can disagree with, you can, you can, you can raise your view, express your understanding of scripture, feel free to express it. There is avenue and there is, there is avenue here to actually, okay, right, so that's what you think. Okay, cool. Let's talk about it. Let's go through this together. Oh, you have a different view on the rapture. Fine. Bring it on. Let's talk about it. But it, it's, it's, it's no reason to say, right, ah, me and my crew, <laughs> we, we, we don't believe in the multiplicity of elders. We're out of here. There is, there is no need for that. It's not, what the, it's not what the word prescribes for us. But these are insubordinate. They're ready to just, oh, is that so? We have a different take. And I've expressed my view. You don't want to hear it. Okay. Where's the door? We're gone. Not so. <clears throat> They don't want to be accountable to anyone or any authority, to be, to be honest. Um, and whilst, just, just by way of mention, talking about that, I mean, here at Ecclesia, um, sometimes it's a bit long when I'm trying to explain to people who ask me, oh, so where do you worship? And I say, oh, Ecclesia. Oh, never heard of that. Oh, we're a, we're a Calvary Chapel. And just tracing back and expressing to them, right, we're a Calvary Chapel. We are part of the Calvary Chapel movement. And I begin to give accounts of how the church came about and how it came to be and who the pastors were ordained by. And just showing a line of accountability. And we still are accountable to people. We're, even account we're accountable to you. We can't start doing off-key stuff here and expect nobody will stand up and say, um, guys, <laughs> what's going on? Not like that here. We have a doctrinal statement. Did you know that? Did somebody go, oh. <laughs> Do you know what we believe? Quick question for your thoughts, for your consideration. Have you taken care to find out or get a doctrinal statement wherever it is you have fellowship in Christ? I think that's an important thing. These guys were also empty talkers. How much have you, how much have you found yourself listening to, to such men? I mean, think about this. 
The message starts off maybe with a Bible verse, and that's the last time you hear about it. Until let's stand up and pray. There's a lot of talk, shout, story, plenty talk and things else apart from the passage. But to be honest, if you listen carefully and you remember messages like that, when you try hard to think afterwards, what was that message about? You'd probably be hard-pressed to recall. Maybe you, 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 you got the verse and then didn't hear anything else about it afterwards and you were like, left panting. They were empty talkers, these guys. Simple reason, they weren't speaking about God. <clears throat> they were also deceivers. They were deceivers. The word is actually um, mind, mind changes. They play on people's minds. I mean, I watched a few men of God amaze church audiences by claiming to heal in the name of Jesus. That's their point. To amaze. To play on the minds. Wow. That is not a joke. Not a joke at all. Why don't you just stay in the magic industry? Sell your shows. Honestly. I mean, I've been to be... <laughs> Seriously speaking, on one occasion, here's this guy, big crowd, bigger than this, calls out to somebody, stands up, makes a big, kind of like beat my chest walk around the, around the platform. This is the ministry that God gave me, especially the healing of one leg shorter than the other. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm betraying the accent. <coughs> and today is your day. The Lord has heard your cry. Come out now. And the poor fellow goes home with a placebo that indeed wears off, leaving them feeling worse off than they arrived. Why play such games? In God's house? Come on, what, what audacity. <sighs> but then these guys were Jews as well. They were Jews. I mean, Paul has encountered them before this time in Antioch. Um, if you, in your own time, look at Galatians chapter 2 and verses 11 to 17. Galatians 2, 11 to 17. Their impact was so much, so, 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 so strong on Peter, another apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, Peter, imagine them, big guns in Antioch. And then they get there, and then these guys of the circumcision party, these Jews are there present as well. But their presence is affecting Peter in such a way that he acts more like these Jews rather than associate with Gentiles, people who were not Jews, but who were also believers, while he's there. What impact do they have? What impact do these guys have? 
there's sometimes when I wonder, look at this. He says that they, they, they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. They're upsetting whole families. You see, here's the deal. There are times when I wonder what, what the matter is when seeking to support people in faith. Sometimes you come across issues like expressing the fear of not being saved. People have a doubt as to whether they're actually saved, but they're in Christ. Or, you know, fear of being punished for someone's settled account with God. What is that all about? Or for not doing something, or for not praying enough. Like I mentioned in the, in the, in the, in the beginning. Or something else that depends on you as an individual. Folks, let me ask you a question. Where are you vulnerable? You have health struggles, financial struggles, emotional struggles, or perhaps disillusioned about your past church or religious experience. Well, welcome to life. That's real. But why take advantage of that? In the name of Christ. Those things are common. So, if you get to gatherings and you hear there is someone here today. Yes, there is someone here today. <laughs> Life happens. Don't play on it. These souls are precious to Jesus Christ. He gave his life as a sacrifice for their sakes. Not to toy with them or play with them. Not to give them false hopes. But he holds out salvation and eternal life. You cannot give that to anyone. God can. Christ can. And he will. He's faithful. So, look. I ask then. If these guys are unsettled or they're upset, where does that sort of impact come from, if not from listening to these teachers? These guys who are going privately? I mean, they want to have a one-on-one -on -one private Bible study or sign up to their blog or watch their podcasts or get their letters and, and, and mailings. I'm not hating here, just, just, just to be clear. But in these private avenues where life happens, you will get met by people who want to take advantage and upset your faith. For what reason? <laughs> it's right there. For shameful gain. For shameful gain. Paul's not speaking out in thin air. It's what was going on in Crete. Guys taking advantage of believers. It's not unlike what we see today. It's not unlike what we see today. I have family, I have relations who are suffering long-term ill health conditions. Listen, I have friends who have family 
who are dealing with life issues. Common, among, common, common as we would experience as well. But the lengths they've gone to to get remedies, to get help, or to believe in this man of God causing serious rifts in families. Not taking care of their health. Flogging property that belongs to an entire generation of, of people. And here, man of God, chuck it all over. What is that about? For what? For what? If, if it was for a good thing, yes, great. But then... The gospel don't teach you to neglect your health or neglect your duty. Not at all. So it starts from these guys really reaching in and grooming individuals one-on-one, taking advantage of what life is all about. But I ask a question. Since when was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ not enough to save So these guys must be silenced. We see their motivation. It's for gain. It's for greedy gain. And all these things about these guys are in sharp contrast to the characteristics of the elders that we looked at last week. Let's move on quickly. <clears throat> Again, they must be silenced. We've talked about that. <laughs> and there are many ways we can do that. So many ways. Um, And then Paul gives some description of these guys. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Um, I think in the, in the introduction to this series, there was a mention and a reference to the... the, 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 the um, original author, Epimenides was his name, a Cretan poet, somebody considered to be a very wise guy among the Cretans. He states this, that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Just an example of one of their lies. So, and this was way before Paul's time. So, these guys believe in, they worship Zeus, Zeus is supposed to be an immortal being, right? He's a god. But here's a boast that the Cretans make. The tomb of Zeus is here in Crete. You didn't get that. Zeus is immortal. How could he be dead? I mean, how could he have a tomb, talk less, I mean, when he's an immortal guy? He wouldn't be dead then. Or is, is he? Is he immortal or isn't he? That's one of the audacious things these, these Cretans could even claim. That Zeus' tomb is there in Crete. Paul <laughs> wouldn't, dare to, wouldn't dare to just give it to these guys to their face firsthand. But he borrows and lets somebody else deliver the message. Basically, okay, Epimenides, here's a loaded gun. Take, fire it at your folks. And yes, that works very well. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul just 
takes a leaf from that. This testimony is true. We've seen it. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply. What do we do about these men? We've got to rebuke them sharply. It's something to carry on doing in order that they may be sound in the faith and not devote themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Look at the intention. Rebuke them sharply. Somebody brings up false doctrine. Can you imagine somebody here today just coming up and saying, oh, even I stand here and preach. Well, um, I've heard it said that, you know, this story about Jesus is something that has happened before and Christianity actually borrows culturally from ancient Egypt. And if I start preaching that sort of stuff, I can see Brunel's face is like, huh? what are you on about? <laughs> if I start preaching that sort of stuff here, listen. Sharpish, I'll get a rebuke. Sharpish, I'll get that cut off right in the bud. Sorry, no, we don't believe that. Bertram was off-key, straight. But the aim of the rebuke is not to, right, let's embarrass that guy and put him in his place, man. He thinks he's something. But the intention Paul gives here is that they may be sound in the faith. Remember who he's talking about. These are Jews who have come to faith in Christ, and they happen to be in Crete as well, or Cretans. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. This sounds a lot like Jesus Christ. Where um, he speaks and says, where, where the prophet says that um, he would not break a swaying reed or quench a smoldering, um, a smoldering wick. He's not out to put them out completely of the faith but rather cut that wrong teaching off so that they may be sound in the faith. Remember, they have dual duties to teach, to instruct, and also to correct. Not everyone who comes to faith in Christ comes fully equipped, fully knowing everything about the gospel, fully knowing everything about Christ and, and, and the salvation and the faith. And everything it teaches. Not everyone comes to Christ equipped with that. Amen. We understand that. Paul understands that. So, there is room for growth. There is room for learning. But, error, yes, must be rebuked sharply in order that they may be sound in the faith. I mean, within the context of the church, it's something that leaders have a duty to do. I mean, let me say this. <clears throat> if you, as a believer or as a member here, um, have the leaders of the church or members keen to know where you are in the faith or interested in affirming or making sure about your faith in Christ, hey, making sure that you stand in the work of Jesus' sacrifice on the, on the cross, listen, let me tell you, you're blessed you are 
blessed indeed. Somebody cares to know that you're saved. And if not, that you're on the right track. Somebody cares to know. Don't run away from it. Give yourself to such leadership. It's doing what God has appointed it to do. I mean, if that means cutting you off from error to lead you back into Christ, back to Christ, say amen to that. Be the first to do so. Because your soul is precious to Jesus and we want to be able to account for you easily to Jesus Christ. Now, I haven't said anything specific here by anyone, you know, but I beg you, take Jesus for who he is. Take it for more than a social media display picture or status indicator. Take it for more than that. He is God with us who saves us and brings us to God. Um, So, some questions about this. Take these and think about them. Is Jesus your Savior? Is He the reason you worship and have fellowship with the church? I emphasize Jesus, nothing less. Not the fact that our gathering here is somewhat less pressured compared to what you find elsewhere or seemingly less ritual. No pressure to serve or get involved in quote-unquote ministry. Listen, Jesus, Jesus, nothing less. Amen. So, <clears throat> they need to be sound in faith, these guys, and not devote themselves to Jewish, to the, to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. Um, very quickly, I see time is really far spent. Very quickly. Just by way of application to do with this verse, um, I mean, I met someone recently in Lewisham who talked to me about, oh, look, she's out there looking for a pitch somewhere to preach and talk about this ministry. I'm like, okay, that's not such a bad thing, but what was it she was actually out there preaching? She was a follower of this guy who claimed that Jesus commissioned him and he commissioned him during an encounter that he had with Jesus on a trip or on one of several visitations to heaven and to hell with Jesus. And, you know, he was commissioned to call the church back to holiness but doing all of this outside of the church, not under any church structure or anything. I think you get the point. But I'm like, but sis, so where is the authority coming for this? And what's the place of the church in all this? But cut the long story short, here's a guy who's decided to go off on a tangent on his own, without any authority or without being subject to any authority, just looking to do his own thing. Um, But then here is the grace of God. Again, he gives the church gifted teachers 
who were able to teach, who were cut off error in order to establish sound faith. And we're encouraged here in the later part of this, of this, of uh, this, these two verses, I think that's verse 14, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Leave those things alone. Leave any teaching that is contrary or legendary or mythical alone. Don't devote yourself to it. Trust God <coughs> and the gospel. Simple but effectual enough. Simple but effectual enough. There's a lot to talk about that. <coughs> Paul goes on to just describe the state of these guys who are um, who the elders have to have to deal with, who the elders have to silence. And at first, it's a bit difficult trying to catch the flow and get with what Paul's talking about here. But I think we need to do that in order to get the point because it just seems a bit random. It's, it's like you're talking about people who are given to um, Jewish myths and so on, but then you suddenly come and start talking about to the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their consciences, their minds and their consciences are defiled. It looks a bit like poetry. But it's important to see what he's saying here. Um, <clears throat> One sec. In this verse, we, we need to get what Paul is saying to see how it fits. It, so as I'm saying here, pay attention to the most repeated term there, pure. To the pure, all things are pure. Nothing is pure to those who are defiled and unbelieving. Or their minds and their consciences are defiled. <coughs> I mean, in some instances... This word rendered pure here is uh, a Greek word that's also translated as innocent or clear. Clean here is defining the condition of a person. At least it is people who have their minds and uh, it is people who have the minds and consciences, okay, because it's referring to people there. This is also used here in contrast to those who are defiled. So I've highlighted that differently just for you to see the contrast. Pure and defiled. Now, Jesus had a lot to say uh, to teach the difference between what is pure and faith towards God. Being pure is a theme that runs through the New Testament letters as well. Again, remember and recall that these guys of the circumcision party, Jewish believers, um, are a group of Jews who had become believers. But here's the, here's the catch. As Jews, they could not let go 
of the ceremonial ways of getting cleansed that supposedly impart spiritual grace. These are people who were used to offering sacrifices. People who were used to, if they find themselves to have sinned before God, they would offer something, either a drink offering, uh, a grain offering, or an animal sacrifice, just to settle things with God. That was, those were the sacraments for them. Those were the things that brought grace for them. Now, do you begin to see this in reference to these Jews who want to hold on to their way of being set apart to God? The plain truth of the gospel is this. Let's bring it over to our time now. What do you really believe your relationship with God is based on? How are you and God tight or cool? What makes things okay between us and God? Question for you and I. We've got to think about it. I'll quickly go through some, uh, a verse in, some verses in Hebrews before we get to a close. <coughs> in Hebrews 9... Uh, I want to show us something about the basis for our relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 9 and from verses 9 to 15. Here, the writer has talked about how the order of things when it came to Jews and their sacrifices and their making things right with God under the Old Testament. Things that the Lord our God gave Moses and the priests, Aaron, and the rest of them, the Levites, all that ceremony, all those things involved there. And according to that, to that arrangement, gifts and sacrifices that are offered could not perfect the conscience, the consciences of the worshippers. All it was really was just they were following regulations for the body that were imposed. God placed those regulations upon them. Until the time of reformation. In other words, until Christ is revealed. So, these guys, unfortunately, as they came to Christ, could not get away from that in their minds. Hence, Paul's description. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the Let's carry on. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, I just focus on what I've highlighted. He entered once for all by means of his own blood. And what did he do? He secured eternal redemption. Looks like I've lost two-thirds of everybody. He secured eternal redemption. He secured it by means of his own blood. Question. Do you or I feel we have to offer sacrifices? Sacrifices of our time, money, whatever else we, we bring to God? Well, even if we do that, hopefully for the right motive. Hello? Out of a heart that comes free of guilt, 
knowing that it is saved and forgiven and free to worship, rather than trying to score purity points with God? Or is it based on how we feel and what experiences we have? Is it based on of any special revelation that we have? Maybe the Holy Spirit has given me some really special revelation, and so I'm more special and more superior than you lot. I ain't referring to anybody. But I've had those encounters. I'm talking in the last month. Out here. Is that what makes us special? Cements our relationship with God? Or is it what Christ has done? The eternal redemption that he secured. I tell you what. All kinds of mystical teaching is being spread as we speak by people who claim to be believers today. So there is a duty on the elders. There is a duty even on us as believers to silence such teaching. To not give it a platform to speak the truth. To live out the truth by our lives. And to declare the faith. Declare by our conduct even. The faith and the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. And the work that he's done. Because the shed blood of Jesus is what cleanses our consciences. That's what enables us to even come near to God. Without any adaptations. I mean, in housing circumstances, you probably need, you know, wide enough doors for wheelchair access, a rail so that somebody doesn't fall down. The gospel doesn't need any adaptations. It's enough. We can stand before God because of what Jesus has done. Leave it there. Walk in it confidently, assured. We're saved by grace. Through faith. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God. Woohoo! Who gets excited about a gift? I do. I do. I open it, I look at it, check it out, try it out, use it, run it. Use the gift God has given salvation through Jesus Christ. Free! I don't have to renew it after 12 months or 24 months or cancel to avoid charges that <laughs> I didn't plan to pay for. Listen, <laughs> eternal warranty. Hey. Listen. So look at what he says in Hebrews. The writer says, purify. It is... It is it is what Christ has done. He offered himself without blemish to God. To do what? To purify our consciences to serve the living God. So we can do all those things I was talking about. Even if you want to pray 10 hours a day, great. You're not doing it because, of, because that scores anything, but you're doing it out of a pure conscience. So Paul saying that to the pure, all things are pure. Yes, why not? Grace. 
is the basis on which they stand. But to the to those who are defiled and unbelieving, do you see? They're not believing in the salvation and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing is pure. They can offer anything. It's not pure. They can give their time, service. It's kind of like, yeah, and the most important thing is, is yet is what's lacking. Faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work to purify that conscience. That's what's needed. Last of all, these guys profess to know God. The people that these elders have to, con to contradict, they have to rebuke. They profess to know God. They say they know God. But deny him by their works. That's, that's just evident. That's self-explanatory. We're the guys who are short-tempered and fly off the handle. Like, like I was ex expressing last week. Quick to want to fight. Given to excessive drinking. Greedy for gain. Their deeds just betray something else. You can claim to be a man of God or a person of God, but your deeds show something else. And they become detestable. Detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Are you surprised at the barrage of uh, accusations, fingers, all pointed at the church like, yeah, look at them. Just busy giving all their money to their pastors to buy private jets or build universities and schools where the members can't even afford to attend. All that kind of stuff. Well, what does that say for their work? What does that say for what they do? Could God entrust souls to these individuals? These are men who must be silenced. They must be silenced because they're unsettling entire families. Teaching things they ought not to teach for greedy gain. Silence them. Don't give them a platform. <sighs> Speak the truth. Even to contradict them. Let them see that the the, the foolishness of what they speak is, is error. Perhaps, you never know, perhaps they could just catch themselves seeing that, wow, I've just been lying all along all these years. And I've heard stories like that. Men of God who have been deep into the prosperity movement and all that. And you hear about them now, they're like preaching solid word, solid truth. I'm praying that God would enable us to do this. I'm praying that you would also stand and speak the truth. To silence these men who speak in error. Let us pray. <laughs>
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.